Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Saskatchewan Rough Riders losing a third straight game. A deep dive on the future of the Montreal Alouettes and their stadium situation. Dustin Crumb's continued development in the nation's capital. Calgary and Montreal releasing a pair of CFL veterans. And we make our picks for Week 17 in the CFL. But first, the Toronto Argonauts are reportedly resting quarterback Chad Kelly for this week's game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Toronto clinched first place in the East Division two weeks ago and set A.J. Ouellette against Hamilton this past weekend. Is this a legitimate decision by head coach Ryan Dinwiddie, or do CFL fans have a right to be disappointed that this Grey Cup rematch has been diminished? I think both of those things are true. I mean, obviously, Ryan Dinwiddie is well within his right to do whatever he wants with his own football team. They've clinched first in the East, you know, by by a week or two now. They're twelve and one. They've they've beaten everybody, uh, with the exception of the one loss. Though Chad Kelly didn't finish the game in that in that contest. They're twelve and zero when he starts and finishes. So credit to him. Credit to the Argos for wrapping things up so quickly. But I absolutely think that CFL fans have a right to feel sad about this. I feel sad about this and I'm covering the game. I'm getting paid to go and I'm still feeling ripped off, right? There's 32,000 plus fans who have bought tickets to the game at IG field. This game is sold out, sold out last week. It'll be a third straight sellout for the Winnipeg blue bombers. And I suppose the good news is fans are going to go home happy because Cameron Dukes is not going to win this game for the Toronto Argonauts. But I still think that fans have a right to be disappointed. This was supposed to be Andrew Harris's return to IG field. He's on the six game injured list. This was supposed to be Chad Kelly against Zach Kolaris, arguably the two front runners for MLP right now in the respective divisions in the CFL. And this was supposed to be the Grey cup rematch. So it's very disappointing that this game has been diminished. But again, I don't blame the Argonauts. This is smart strategy for a team that doesn't have to be at its best on Friday night. They have to be their best come the second Saturday of November. Yeah, if you've got an issue with this decision by the Toronto Argonauts, well, maybe the other teams in the league should have beat them in the regular season. Because they didn't, and now they have every right to do whatever they want with this roster. And right now, the best thing for them to do is to sit Chad Kelly and to not show their potential Grey Cup opponents anything more than they have to in this game. It's going to be a vanilla offense with Cameron Dukes at the helm. No tricks, no bells and whistles, basic football that does not tip their hand one way or another about how they would play the Bombers in a playoff game. And that is their right because they have clinched everything up. Now, I know there's going to be some people that say, well, there's five weeks left in the season. That's insanely early to be resting Chad Kelly. I don't believe that he is going to be sitting out every single one of those five games. 
but I think it is smarter to rest him early on the games that matter a little bit more to the opponents and get him back on the field in a lower pressure situation in the last couple weeks, right? The Bombers have a great pass rush. They have something still to play for, and God knows they'd like to take a chunk out of the Toronto Argonauts. That's a situation that, regardless of the fact that the Argos have nothing to play for, puts Chad Kelly in a little bit of risk, not necessarily undue risk under normal circumstances, but more risk than normal. You rest him now, and then you can tune him up when you play the Ottawa Red Blacks in the last week of the season, the last couple weeks of the season, when presumably that team isn't going to have as much to play for if Saskatchewan can get it done in the playoff race and ensure that there isn't a crossover, right? That's a better situation to be able to play Chad Kelly for a half, make sure he's ready to go for the playoffs, rather than this week when there's a serious threat against him. So correct decision here by Ryan Dinwiddie. And what a moment this will be for Cameron Dukes because – It's got to be the first time that someone from Lindsey Wilson College in the NAIA has ever sold out a stadium. No kidding. And, and yeah, best of luck to him. I watched him play in relief of Chad Kelly in Calgary. For his sake, I hope he's better against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Should be noted as well that the Toronto Argonauts had their first three bye weeks within the first 11 weeks of the season. So they've played their last five games without a bye, and their next five games will have to be played without a buy. They will get a buy the first week of November while presumably the Montreal Alouettes and Hamilton Tiger Cats play in the East semifinal, but 10 games in a row is a fair amount, right? When you don't have your buys staggered well throughout the season, it makes sense to give Kelly what I would call a uh, artificial bye week at this point of the season. Though I will also say if you're a salty bomber fan or a salty CFL fan, Um, or even a Salty Argo fan, the person or the people to blame for this mishap is really the CFL schedule makers. Mm -hmm. This is a situation that was completely avoidable by putting these two teams against one another early in the year. This should have been the game of the year to, to, to start it. This should have been the opening game of the season. Week one, either Winnipeg at Toronto, and you build up that hype at BMO, try to get a sellout there, or you know it's going to be a sellout at IG if you have the Argos come to Winnipeg. So that should have been the, the opening game of the season. Instead, we got this game in week one between Montreal and and uh, Calgary that, frankly, nobody cared about. Yes, the game went up against the Stanley Cup final, but the television rating was atrocious. One of the worst mm-hmm. of the year. The CFL, as we discussed on this show to start the year, needs to start off with a bang in week one. It should have been Toronto-Winnipeg, or if not week one, it, sh- it certainly should have been earlier rather than later. They also should have played twice instead of Mm -hmm. just once. Like we have this situation now, like Toronto played Hamilton four times this year. Did anybody really want to see those two teams play a fourth time this past week? No, we want to see them go up against the Winnipeg blue bombers in a great cup rematch. We want to see them play against the BC lions as a battle of two top teams. Um, So yeah, the schedule is bad. Fortunately, my sources indicate that the CFL appears to be heading back to a more balanced schedule next year where everybody plays everybody else twice. So this problem hopefully will not be one that that continues into 2024 and we'll leave it in 2023. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have lost three straight games since beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the Labor Day Classic. The club got two late touchdowns against the Ottawa Red Blacks this past week, but still lost 36-28 and 
despite being third in the West Division with a 6-8 and eight record, have the worst point differential in the league. Head coach Craig Dickinson asked Ryder Nation to stick with his team despite the losing skid, but should they? I think they should, if only for the reason that the Riders will probably still make the playoffs. It looks like, despite the recent losing skid, they are still, in my opinion, the more talented team of that bunch battling for that final spot, that third spot in the West, which could, in theory, actually be an East crossover for once if the cards went Ottawa's way. But I think the Riders are the better team there. And I think they will go to the postseason. And once you're in the dance, anything can happen. So Ryder Nation, stay behind your team for now. But my bigger concern is is Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day, right? We know that they are on expiring contracts. This was their prove-it year to show that last year was a fluke. And we're sitting here with a team that has the same record. You know, some of the problems are different. They've cleaned up a lot of the penalty issues that happened last year, but there's still significant issues with the team. Now you have to decide how much you're going to put stock in the fact that they've been down to ostensibly their third string quarterback. And I know we've talked about that sort of situation with a couple of other coaching staffs and uh, front office staffs in the league this year, knowing that. Yeah, that's an extenuating circumstance, but it's also one you have to be prepared for. In fairness to them, I think Jake Dalagala has done a really nice job the last few weeks, but the rest of the roster hasn't been good enough to do to get it done. And and eventually they're going to have to wear that one way or another. I don't know if just getting into the playoffs is the standard that the Rough Riders should be held to. Well, and let's also call a spade a spade. The only reason that the Riders are making the playoffs this season is because Calgary stinks. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like last season, you had three teams in the West Division with 12 plus wins. Right. You had Winnipeg at the top, followed narrowly behind at uh, with with BC and Calgary at 12 wins apiece this season. The, the Calgary Stampeders, even even Edmonton, they're both mathematically still eligible for the playoffs. But I think we all know that they're they're not going to be making the playoffs, barring barring at least a miracle turnaround. So. Yes, I think Ryder fans should be sticking with the team, at least from that side of it, right? We've seen sub-500 teams sneak into the playoffs and make noise after that previously. With that being said, the numbers show that Ryder fans are bailing on this team right now, 100%. The club's most recent home game had 25,304 fans there against Edmondson. Jamie Nye reported that that is the smallest crowd they've had at Mosaic Stadium since that venue opened and I believe it was 2017 and then our very own Justin Dunk reported this morning on Wednesday that the Saskatchewan at Ottawa game on TSN drew an audience of only 390,300 that's the first time Saskatchewan has failed to crack 400,000 for a television rating since at the end of last season after the club was eliminated from the playoffs so this team has fans apparently jumping off the bandwagon left, right, and center, and as much as they are likely to make the playoffs, at least those in Ryderville appear skeptical that they will be able to do anything in the playoffs other than get embarrassed in the West semifinal, be that game in Vancouver or Winnipeg. That is yet to be decided. I think this brings up an interesting point that we discussed late last year around the Grey Cup, 
And that's the fact that Ryger fans are Ryger fans, right? I think there's a lot of fan bases in the CFL where they're fans of their team, yes, but they're also CFL fans. I think more so than anyone else, and perhaps it's because it is the largest and most rabid fan base without a doubt. Ryger fans are Ryger fans, right? Some of them care about the league, but most of them care about the green and white most of all and above all else. And when that team is struggling, they make it known, right? They're not going to games for the sake of just going to games. They're not tuning in for the sake of just tuning in, right? They are making a statement right here with the numbers, and that's the fact that this team just isn't good enough to capture their attention right now. Now, do I think that's a flawed view from them right now? Yes, I do think it's flawed because, like I said, they're going to make it to the playoffs. They've already beaten Winnipeg on one occasion. Could they do it in a playoff game? Of course, right? We've seen sub-500 teams go in and win the Grey Cup before. That would not be unheard of. And until you're eliminated, I think you should be supporting your team as if you've got a chance to win a Grey Cup. But right now, the Ryder faithful is tired. They've had two seasons of this right now, and it's looking a lot like deja vu. And this team isn't giving them a whole lot of hope, especially after that loss to Ottawa, that they're going to be any better. The and, and by the way, you're banging on about Ryder fans being Ryder fans and not CFL fans. There are obviously very passionate people in Saskatchewan when it comes to the CFL, but the average Ryder fan cares about their team and and not much else. That said, I do take issue with one thing that you said, which is that Saskatchewan could potentially go into Winnipeg and win in the playoffs. I would be shocked if that happened. Exhibit A. I didn't say it would happen. Eat down. Uh, but could it happen? Yes, I agree it could happen. I think the chances of it happening are remarkably small. But again, this is the CFL. As mentioned, anything can happen in the CFL. It's also possible Cameron Dukes wins at IG Field on Friday, as much as I would give the probability of that occurring a chance of approximately 0.1%. Um, so Rider Nation, don't bail on your team, at least just yet. They could get into the, I think they will get into the dance as much as you may have been disappointed by their last three games, especially that loss to Ottawa. Though, that being said, as we'll talk about more later on in the show, Ottawa has been a more competitive team, certainly as of late. Hodge, you wrote a long-form article on the Montreal Alouettes stadium situation. Pierre-Carl Pelado has stabilized the team since purchasing it this, purchasing it this past offseason, though Percival Molson is the oldest and arguably the worst venue in the CFL. Do you think there's a reasonable chance the Owls will get a new stadium, or will they have to make do at their current facility? Well, I, and, and by the way, thank you to general manager Danny Machocha and Alouette's president, Mark Waitman, for sitting down with me for, for lengthy interviews. Uh, in La Belle Provence, I did a full walkthrough of Percival Molson ahead of that game against the Toronto Argonauts a couple weeks ago. And I certainly got, by the way, I certainly got my steps in that day, climbing that mountain to get to the stadium and then, and then climbing the, the stadium itself. My goodness. Um, that being said, I mean, the facility has tremendous upside. It's in a wonderful location. It's scenic. It's beautiful. Um, Machocha and Waitman both described it as romantic, which I thought was interesting. It's an intimate setting. Um, and the sight lines are phenomenal. Um, that those, those things are, are inarguable. 
However, some of the amenities are downright pathetic. Um, the the benches are not comfortable. There's no seat backs on on the seats there, and even I, as a fully, you know, well, not that I'm in great shape, but as someone who's fully mobile um, and able, even I felt a little bit sketchy about going down the seats because the seats have no railings separating them from different rows of seating, and they also have no railings on the staircases. So if you're walking down the the seating like one of the one of the two grandstands and you fall i guess you just fall till you reach the field i don't i don't really know how you catch yourself or or what happens you um, land on an air horn that's how it happens i guess yes you also. land on an air horn there's also by the way the lighting also leaving the main gate of the stadium is not working so i also took my life into my own hands leaving the stadium after nightfall uh, which, by the way, is is at least from what I saw, the same path that the visiting team has to take to get to their bus. So maybe that's maybe that's some type of of technique that the club is using to try to to try to ward off opposing players on the uneven ground of that walking path. But that being said, uh, Waitman said that he has spoken at length to owner Pierre Carapelado, who, by the way, he and Danny Machocha both raved about. Um, it's worth noting that Pelado was instrumental in getting the Videotron Center built in Quebec City, an 18,000-seat hockey arena that is worthy of NHL teams. It is, of course, not yet attracted an NHL team to Quebec City. He didn't pay for it himself. The, the local and provincial governments paid for it. But that being said, he does pay a substantial rental fee every year to have his major junior team, the Ramparts, there. Um, so if there ever was someone who could get a stadium built in Montreal, I think it would be Pelado for the Alouettes. That being said, I think the chances of that happening, reading between the tea leaves, are very small. If it were to happen, the timeline, the, the shortest possible timeline from now to when the stadium opened would be seven to eight years, Waitman told me. Um, and obviously land is a huge issue. You couldn't, you couldn't buy the square footage that the Alouettes are currently on at McGill. By the way, the stadium currently is owned by McGill University. It is operated by McGill University, and I'm led to believe the university has no interest in upgrading it because the Alouettes are really the only tenant there. The stadium was built, by the way, in 1915. Um, so obviously there are certain things that need to be upgraded. The other option for the Alouettes is is well, upgrading uh, this, the current stadium, which they've done previously, 2003, 2010. But there are areas of the stadium that, that desperately need to be redone or refurbished or they could go to the big o uh five years ago it was announced the big o was getting a new roof paid for by the taxpayers of quebec that no longer appears to be the case or at least it's been called into question the project's never got underway and what was originally thought to be a replacement of the roof is now a replacement of the roof plus the gigantic concrete ring that goes around the entire uh, outside of the stadium that supports the roof. So it is a, I wouldn't call it a dire situation because the Alouettes at the end of the day, again, are stable under Mr. Pelado. But to me, this is a team that needs to be looking at a, a long-term stadium solution. And my guess, and this is a guess, is that they will simply refurbish Percival Molson and remain there. But boy, wouldn't it be great if that team got its own stadium or at least a new stadium that it could share with another team in, in Montreal. It would be fantastic, and kudos to you, Hodge, because I think you did a exceptional job painting a picture of this stadium and what it's like to actually go to it and enjoy a game right now. 
I mean, some of the things are just shocking. The the cryogenic exhaust <laughs> pipe going out into the seats where it warns, warns you of being burned by extremely cold exhaust. That's insane. How is that pumping out into a stadium? That was bizarre to me. Certainly a highlight of that article. Now, I've been around Percival Molson, not on an Alouette's game day, but you know, on an off day. Obviously, my family lived in, in Montreal for a time. My sister was born at the McGill Hospital right behind the stadium. So we would travel back there all the time. And it is a fantastic spot for a venue, right? Certainly the sight lines are fantastic, as you mentioned, but also really close to a bustling part of downtown. You know, great shopping, great food, everything you would possibly want. And the student population there as well. Make sure that there's a young vibe. That's a perfect spot for a football stadium. Unfortunately, I don't think there's anyone who was born in 1915 still alive in Canada. This stadium is the last thing. And there are clear needs for an upgrade at multiple levels because not only is it below the standard that we accept for professional athletes, it's a safety hazard in some regard, and that needs to be addressed. The other thing that stuck out to me about the article was I believe it was Mark Waitman was saying, well, one of the reasons why we would consider this most strongly is because this is starting to become a detractor when we when we have conversations with free agents about coming to the Montreal Alouette because we don't have our own practice facility because this stadium is not up to the standard. And if we could get some of our own facilities or get it upgraded, that would help us out in that regard. And I think that's something that fans don't necessarily think of a ton when they're talking about these facilities, but it matters a great deal to players because that's their workplace, right? Imagine you had to go to your office every day and it was a leaking over a hundred year old building and you weren't the only tenant and you didn't have the proper facilities that you needed, right? You, you wouldn't, be very thrilled about that working situation. And I think that's a pressing issue for the Alouettes. Unfortunately, I don't think it's getting fixed in any meaningful degree anytime soon. Well, we should note, so they don't practice at Percival Mulsa. The Montreal Alouettes, just like the Toronto Argonauts and BC Lions, have separate practice facilities. The Alouettes practice at the Big O, which by the way, is also not a good facility. It's 50 years old at this point and has been in constant states of disrepair since it opened. Um, that being said, Waitman, and, and and you're you're kind of paraphrasing what Waitman said. Essentially what he said was he just, he wishes that they had better amenities to offer the players. Now, I did not tour the practice facilities in Montreal, but currently they do not have a player's lounge, for instance. They don't really have a place for players to hang out there. Um, he wants to offer them a better cafeteria. He wants to offer larger meeting rooms, um, things like that, that are more befitting of a professional team. Um, and one thing that he did say is he said a lot of people say, well, the Alouettes don't own their stadium. They don't own their practice facility. You know, they don't own anything. And that's why, you know, they struggle. And he said, actually, I don't feel that way at all. He said, because especially if you have really good deals, renting can be a lot cheaper than, than owning something. Pelado has rumored to be interested in building a practice facility for the team, though Machocha and Waitman both denied that they were aware of those rumors. Um, so it, it, it 
could mean could be nothing, could be something. We don't know yet. But if they were to build something, Waitman said it wouldn't be as a way to save money. It would be as a way to have more control over the amenities that are offered to Montreal Alouettes players because currently they do not have high enough amenities that they can really compete with other teams. So it should also be noted that Waitman has been on every away trip for the Alouettes this year, his first year as the team president. He, he did work with the team back previously, but he'd been away for about 10 years. And uh, of course, in that time, we have had new or refurbished venues in the CFL. So he was at IG Field this year for the, the Alouettes game against uh, the, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He got a chance to look through IG. He was also disappointed that his team didn't play in Regina this year because the, Alou- the Alouettes did, of course, did not return to Saskatchewan, which also robbed us of a chance to see Cody Fajardo return to his former stadium, which was also a huge error on the part of the CFL schedule makers who, in fairness, make the schedule before free agency. But you can fix this problem pretty simply by going to a balanced schedule. Anyways, not to beat a dead horse. Should also be noted that in Montreal, there are a couple of other stadiums. There's the Saputo Stadium. This is where the CF Montreal soccer team plays. It was built in 2007. uh, Currently seats about 19,000, but it is a soccer stadium. um, And it is natural grass turf. You know, know, it it actually would be smaller than Percival Molson. I'm led to believe that's not really an option for them now. And there's also Sepsum Stadium, where the Montreal Caravan play. That venue seats, it's listed as 5,000, but I've been led to believe they fit as many as 8,000 people there when the Laval Rougier play for their rivalry game in Montreal. So, you know, it's it's just a shame, I suppose, that a world-class city like Montreal, which is incredible, mm. it has so much to offer, has a, a massive stadium that's too big and always broken. Um, two medium-sized stadiums that are kind of too small, um, one of which is just too old. And then they have this, uh, and the Concordia also has a football stadium, two kind of small university stadiums that, that again, so, so it, like they just need one solution. Um, but clearly they're, they're, they're far away from determining that. But again, thank you to Wayman and Machocha, um, for sitting down with me. Um, I, I think obviously the future of the CFL is is secure but we do need to make sure that teams are getting new facilities and building facilities in canada is a lot more challenging than building them in the united states where where they tend to give billionaires unlimited numbers of of tax dollars to to build whatever they want so uh in a way it's better that that teams have to fight tooth and nail to get money here but also you know We'll see what the Alouettes do, but uh, I'm glad. And by the way, if you want pictures of all the stuff that we're talking about, please read the article on Three Down Nation. If you haven't already, uh, it's it's performed exceptionally well for us. There's clearly a lot of people interested in the future of the Alouettes and, and, and what Mr. Pelado might have planned for them for a stadium. Stay tuned. Pro Football Focus has named Dustin Crum the CFL's highest graded offensive player in back-to-back weeks. The 24-year-old has now thrown for 2,334 yards, seven touchdowns, and seven interceptions on the season, and rushed 84 times for 620 yards and nine touchdowns. Assuming he is poised to improve heading into his second CFL season, should the Red Blacks consider rolling with Crum as their franchise guy in 2024? Is this even a question at this point? I think they absolutely should, and, and that's with all due respect to to Jeremiah Mazzoli, but 
with his injury situation, he's not a guy you can count on right now. And I think Dustin Crum is, and he's shown that, right? And he's a young up-and-comer that has shown flashes at the start, struggled for a long stretch, and seems to have found his footing, especially as a passer, once again. And that's extremely heartening because that's what you want to see from a young player. It's not all progression, right? It's not all taking step after step all the way up the ladder until you reach the mountaintop. Sometimes you slip. Sometimes you fall. There is going to be regression as you improve as a player because you need those mistakes in order to grow. And Dustin Crum has shown, at least in the last couple weeks, that he is a guy who can do that, that he's able to bounce back and he's able to correct mistakes and he can become a better player. Now, doing it in a year or two is an entirely different ball game, And that seems to be where a lot of young players or young quarterbacks, rookie sensations struggle is that year two, they come in and they completely fall flat on their face, whether that's year two in the league or year two as a starter. In Crum's case, it would be both. But he seems to have shown the gumption to be able to get it done. And right now he is the best option for the Ottawa Red Blacks under center. And I don't think there is really much point debating it, to be frank. Yeah, Crum in four of his first eight starts failed to reach 175 yards passing. He also had five touchdowns, five picks in those games. That ratio has not improved at seven and seven currently. But he has thrown for at least 230 yards in each of his last three starts. And also the average length of his completions has grown. Like like he was he was throwing a lot of short stuff early on against the tie cats. He threw for an average of ten point two yards per pass attempt, and then that number has has again steadily remained higher than it did to start the year. That leads me to believe that they are making the necessary adjustments that they have to. I will say I think Dustin Crum is still taking too many hits. That mm. is something that I would be nervous about with him as a franchise guy. Uh, for context, he's currently, again, at 650 rushing yards on the season. Top 10 CFL rushing seasons by quarterbacks is an article I happen to do this offseason. And the number 10 best rushing season by a quarterback happened in 1992 when Damon Allen ran for 850 yards as the starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The numbers go up from there with the number one all-time happening in 1990 when Tracy Ham ran for 1,096 yards with Edmonton. So on his current pace of about 50 rushing yards a game, Crum is set to at least come very close to cracking this top 10 list. That is something that should probably change moving forward. Is that to say he shouldn't run? No, obviously he's a great runner and that is part of what makes him an effective quarterback, but he needs to be a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. I think one thing, and ultimately the most important thing the Ottawa Red Blacks need to do this offseason, is get a receiving core. Because right now, that group of receivers, I, as much as it's been better in the last couple weeks, Braylon Addison's made a couple nice plays. C.O.C. Mariner had a great touchdown this past week. I still think it's the worst group of receivers in the CFL. That needs to be upgraded. By the way, as a complete aside, Kevin Mattel, who has been sensational for the Laval Rouge or uh, over the last couple of seasons is going to be in the draft. I, part of me wonders if he could end up 
with the Ottawa Red Blacks. That would be a tremendous fit from a positional standpoint, a value standpoint, and even a cultural standpoint, given that he's mm. bilingual, of course. But um, to me, if you give Dustin Crum a receiving core, which shouldn't be too hard if you are spending relatively little money on a starting quarterback, because Crum is still, of course, on his rookie deal, that I think could help him go to new heights. Yes, there will be film on him over the course of the offseason for defensive coaches to study. But if you give him a brand new set of weapons who are going to be able to get more separation against opposing teams, I absolutely think that Dustin Crum could and should be the new franchise guy for the Ottawa Red Blacks. I will say I am slightly less concerned about the amount of pure hits that Crum takes compared to, I think, the average fan or the average analyst. Now, I'm concerned about the sacks that he's shown a tendency to take for holding on to the ball too long. I think that is a serious issue he needs to address. But let's remember, this is a young guy. He's fairly robustly built, and that seems to have been his game his entire life. Now, can he do it forever to be able to run through guys and take those hits in the open field? No. Nobody can do that forever. But it's not unheard of to have a quarterback who does that if they're of the right mindset and the right ability and the right size, right? To me, he reminds me of Mike Riley, Michael Riley, right? Who early in his career got the absolute snot beat out of him on a near weekly basis and also was a tremendous rushing threat as well, despite the fact that he wasn't you know, insanely fast like a Trey Ford. Dustin Crum is in very much the same way. They are built very similarly. And you know what? Injuries until the very end of Michael Riley's career didn't really become an issue, right? He had many years of healthy play where he was able to play that style and do it at an MOP level. And Dustin Crum at this stage is much younger than Michael Riley was at his peak or when he first started doing this because he's doing it as a rookie. So if you look at that as a comp, I am not clutching my pearls every time Dustin Crum takes a hit. It's a little bit of a concern for Ottawa this year because of the injuries they've had at quarterback and they just have no other options. But if you've got a backup that can go in in an emergency situation like they may have next year with Tyree Adams or whoever it may be, I'm not as worried about it because you've got to let the guy play his game. And this is clearly his game. Well, and I think obviously the ship has sailed on Nick Arbuckle, but I do think that Tyree Adams, assuming he's back for training camp from his torn ACL that he suffered this past summer, um, you know, that's, that's certainly not a bad one, two punch. Would you rather have Zach Kolaris or Chad Kelly? Yes. But those two guys are going to come at a relatively cheap price tag, which, again, could help you upgrade your secondary a little bit. That's been a bit of a sore spot for the Red Blacks and that receiving core, which, again, I I simply don't think has been good enough for them in 2023. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are seven and a half point favorites over the Toronto Argonauts on Friday, who are expected to rest Chad Kelly under center. IG Field has already sold out as the Blue Bombers will look to keep pace with the BC Lions, who sit tied atop the West Division at 10 and 4. Do the Argos stand a chance without Kelly? They do. It's just not much of a chance. Like, it should be noted that the Bombers have lost this season 
to Dustin Crum, Jake Dolagala, and to Taylor Powell. Like, that is not a flattering list for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers playing against guys who open the season as third-string quarterbacks. That being said, this is going to be an electric atmosphere. This is going to be a packed house, a sold-out IG field. Cameron Dukes is 25. He played his college football at Lindsey Wilson, which is a school I'd never heard of before looking this up. And NAIA, his only, baby. His only previous pro experience came in the Indoor Football League as a member of the Vegas Nighthawks. This is going to be his first career CFL start, assuming he does, in fact, start. I can't think of a much tougher environment in which to do that than a sold-out IG field where fans are going to rapidly be cheering on the home side as they try to secure first place in the West Division. This line has moved dramatically after the news of Kelly Lakely sitting. I don't care. I'm taking the Bombers and all those points. Yeah, I don't care what this line is. Cameron Dukes is under center. And I know we only saw him briefly in that one Toronto loss where he had to go in for Chad Kelly when he hurt his ankle briefly. But boy, oh boy, he did not look like the next Dustin Crum or the next Taylor Powell or the next Jake Dolagala under those admittedly harsh circumstances. And this is a guy who is coming from levels of football that typically players don't have a lot of success coming from in the CFL. If you want a poster child for the impact that the USFL or the XFL have had on recruiting, especially quarterbacks in the CFL, Cameron Dukes is that guy because even a couple years ago, he'd be at best a practice roster player. Now he's a primary backup for a great cup contender. That's a serious issue in my mind. And I just have no faith that he's going to be able to get, get it done especially if the Argos are resting other members of the team, which I suspect they will. He could have some backup offensive linemen in there, should have some backup receivers. That's not going to match up well against the vaunted Bombers. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are 10-point underdogs when they visit the Lions on Friday night. BC has won three straight games while the Riders are on a three-game slide. Can Saskatchewan overcome the odds to get the win out West or can the Lions take care of business at home? I'm taking the Lions here. They've been generally very good at home this season. And I think that win over the Elks is going to give them a little bit of confidence as they've been a bit slow the last couple weeks. They're the better team. There's no question here and Saskatchewan is struggling. I will, however, given how wide this point spread is, take the Riders to cover because I don't fully trust the Lions quite yet. They've made the last couple games way closer than they needed to be because of some errors at quarterback from Vernon Adams Jr. He needs to clean up the turnovers if he wants to cover here. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. And this is what I'm going to call my last chance for the Riders. The Riders have this chance to prove to me that they can rally, just as their head coach has said. I do think the Riders deserve a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, given that they have been better than last season. That being said, as stated earlier in the show, they have the worst point differential of any team in the CFL. Their record is a lot better than Edmonton's and Calgary's and Ottawa's, but their point differential is, in fact, worse. That means they've been winning close and getting their butts whipped by large margins when they lose. 
they need to get a win in this game to rally their fans. I don't see the win, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they can keep it really close. Because if they if they lose this game by a large margin, I don't blame any of the fans who have either already jumped off the bandwagon or will jump off the bandwagon as a result of this loss. This is as close to a must-win as you can get. The Riders need to build this confidence. They need to show that they can beat one of the two best teams in the West Division on the road because they're going to have to do that twice if they hope to get to the Great Cup this year. The Montreal Alouettes are short favorites against the Ottawa Red Blacks this Saturday in a game that has major playoff implications. The Owls can clinch a postseason berth with a win, while the Red Blacks can be eliminated with a loss and the Riders and Ty- if the Riders and Ticats both win. Can Montreal get a second straight victory? I have taken the Alouettes every time they've not played one of the top three teams in the CFL, and that has worked for me, so I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to take the Owls to win and also cover this short spread if, in fact, it remains a short spread. It currently is, but you know when it's under three points, these lines move very quickly. I am happy to take this team. They have shown they can take care of business against the bottom five clubs in the CFL. To me, the, the Alouettes are kind of on a tier of their own right now between the bottom five teams in the league and the top three teams. They're 7-0 against the worst teams, and they're 0-7 against the best. That's really bad news for Alouettes fans come playoff time, but for right now, they get the chance to beat up on the Ottawa Red Blacks. I think that this is a good choice. Though I will say, as much as I'm taking the, the Alouettes, kudos to the Red Blacks for getting it done last week and closing up that game. I'd called the Red Blacks losers previously because they had lost seven games in a row, but they are finding ways to win. I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Blacks found a way to get this one done on the weekend. I've followed a similar successful formula to you, Hodge, because the Alouettes have been dead center in the CFL all season, being the teams they should beat and losing to the teams that they're worse than. But I'm going to change it up this week because I feel like this is a game rife for a little bit of an upset. The Alouettes, to me, have not shown the urgency that I think they should be playing with at this stage in the season. And the Ottawa Red Blacks are fighting for their damn lives on every single snap and have looked very, very good the last couple weeks. Let's not forget that before that victory over the Riders, which was incredibly impressive they played extremely well against the lions and were a mere miracle of a field goal return away from winning that game uh go they were up 16 points in the final three minutes so i think the red blacks are on the rise right now this is going to be the first time the alouettes formula for success fails and they're going to lose this game the Hamilton Tiger Cats are short favorites over the visiting Calgary Stampeders on Saturday. The Stamps have lost five of their last six games, while the Tiger Cats are coming off a 29-14 home loss to the Toronto Argonauts. Calgary is looking to keep their faint playoff hopes alive, while the Tiger Cats still have a chance to host a postseason game. Who you got? I have zero faith whatsoever in the Calgary Stampeders right now. To me, they look like a team that doesn't know what they're doing on the field. They look like a team that doesn't have any answers off the field right now. That dynasty has entirely collapsed at this stage, as we've 
predicted for several seasons at this point, but they've kept making the playoffs. Now it's finally happened. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to take this victory and drive the knife home on what was once the premier organization in the CFL. Yeah, the Calgary Stampeders are ninth in our power rankings for a reason, and that reason is they're just not very good. I'm taking the Hamilton Tiger Cats to win in this one and cover. It's less than a field goal right now. I'm happy to float that. The Stampeders couldn't get it done at home last week against the Alouettes. If you're not going to win at home against the Alouettes, I have a hard time seeing you go into Steeltown and getting the victory there. Calgary, you may as well start deciding who you're going to take with the first overall pick in next year's draft. Sorry to say it. Maybe second, maybe third, but top three for sure. On this day in 2004, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers traded Kahari Jones, fullback Randy Bowles, and a draft pick to the Calgary Stampeders in exchange for defensive tackle Joe Fleming, fullback Scott Regimbald, and safety Wes Lysak. Jones passed for 18,000 yards and 132 touchdowns over his first four seasons in Winnipeg and was named the CFL's most outstanding player in 2001. His numbers declined, however, in 2004 due to a shoulder injury, which led to the trade. Jones dressed for just three games as a member of the Stampeders and was cut when the team signed Henry Burris as a free agent that winter. JC, what do you remember about Kahari Jones being traded? I remember nothing. I was seven years old, Hodge. <laughs> I did. I was like, ooh, football game. No, I, I don't have a lot of recollections of Kahari Jones like you would being obviously an avid Bombers fan of a older generation. What I will say is from watching old clips, from researching these players over the years, Few players in the league have flashed as hot as Kahari Jones did at his peak. He just didn't necessarily have the ability to sustain it like a bunch of Hall of Fame quarterbacks have. Yeah, one one shoulder injury is all it takes, right, for a quarterback to just not be the same as they were. And by the way, Henry Burris became the starting quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders after they'd won 15 games over the last three years combined. Like They were the worst team in the CFL by a decent margin from 2002 to 2004, or at least I should say in the West Division, because this was, of course, during the Otto Renegades era. Um, but the Stampeders finished fifth in the West Division three straight years, and they get Henry Burris, who's, who's coming back from the NFL and, and looking for kind of a permanent home between, you know, he had time in Saskatchewan and all that stuff. Um, this was a dark day in the Hodge household. Um, I think even, even as a teenager at the time, I think I realized this was the right decision for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And they had Kevin Glenn in the, in the building, who I think everybody knew was the next guy. But that being said, it was still a heartbreaker. And by the way, I can't, you know, and I suppose Kahari didn't really do much after this as a player, but I'm surprised I never hear about this as being like one of the worst trades in CFL history because the Stampeders gave up a lot for a guy mm. who they then played for a grand total of three games. Though, if memory serves correct, I believe Scott Regimbald and Wes Lysak eventually got cut in Winnipeg and ended up signing back in Calgary. So maybe that's part of the reason why we never hear about it, but, but who knows? It's time for the three-minute drill. Manitoba Bisons kicker Maya Turner kicked two field goals and three converts to become the first woman ever to score points in a U Sports regular season football game. How cool is that? 
It's incredibly cool. And the cherry on top, that second field goal, the overtime winner. You can't script it any better. She had a perfect game and the biggest stage possible for her. Everyone should be rooting for this story for the rest of the U Sports season. Way to go, my turn. International music icon Carrie Underwood is performing during Grey Cup week in Hamilton. How excited are you to check out her concert? I am, and a Canadian connection that I remembered when I Googled Carrie Underwood yesterday was her husband is former NHL player Mike Fisher, who was born in Peterborough. So Peterborough, a couple hours northeast of Hamilton, but she does have some ties to Southern Ontario. That's going to be a great concert. By the way, I think some people are confused. This is not the halftime show. This is a concert that is happening on Friday night of Grey Cup Week, and they're yet to announce there's going to be another big concert on the Thursday in Niagara Falls and Saturday in Hamilton. So apparently now Grey Cup is not just a football game. The festival is also an A-list musical sensation, which I love. I think it's great. you got a bunch of people visiting Southern Ontario, some of who might not be football fans. Heck, give them a Carrie Underwood concert. Get them excited about the CFL. That's super cool. Kudos to the planning committee. I think it's great. I'm glad you're praising Carrie Underwood. Otherwise, she'd come and drive her keys into the side of your four-wheel drive. I think that's the only song of hers I know. But I will be listening (laughs) to more of her music before Grey Cup, just so I'm ready for the concert. Troy Aikman and Aaron Rodgers have both compared the Miami Dolphins' high-flying offense to those found in the CFL. Is that a legitimate comparison? I think it is because of how much they're using motion in a unique way. It looks a lot more like the waggle and all those things. They're taking full advantage of the rule book with Mike McDaniels there as the head coach and play caller. What should be noted is we wrote a story last year during the NFL playoffs where they were practicing with 12 guys to throw off people who were in the stands filming their practice. So they actually ran a CFL offense for a practice. Now they're running one with 11 men. Pretty impressive from the Miami Dolphins. The Montreal Alouettes released starting defensive end Jamal Davis this week. Was that a surprise to you, Hodge? Well, it was until he tweeted that this was apparently at his request. And it didn't take him long to find as a new work, as as we will talk about a moment into uh, another moment into the three-minute drill. The Calgary Stampeders have launched a college scholarship in honor of former CFL commissioner Doug Mitchell. Is that a worthy cause? It very much is. Now, this scholarship is only for the University of Calgary, of course, his hometown, and the University of British Columbia, which is where he played and later went to law school. But Doug Mitchell did as much for U Sports football in this country as anybody Obviously had a great impact on both the CFL as a whole and the Calgary Stampeders. I can't think of a better way to honor his legacy, which is so large in football in this country. Retired Canadian offensive lineman John Urschel has been named a math professor at MIT. How cool is that? I think it's very cool, but here's the problem. John Urschel and I were born in the same city in the same year. And he is a former NFL player, published author, and now a professor at MIT. And I'm sitting here talking to you. (laughs) What does that say about me? What does that say? 
kudos to John Urshel. What an amazing job that brilliant man has done in so many, so many ways. And, and kudos to him on achieving such a high level of success that I had an existential crisis this morning while writing the Three Down article about his amazing life. Good for him. That's awesome. Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, by the way, we're going from one brilliant Canadian offensive lineman to another one, has announced his retirement from professional football, finishing his NFL career having played 73 games with 65 starts as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs and New York Jets. How will you remember his career? Well, first of all, he may be the only one who can make John Urschel jealous. The only guy who could be an active medical doctor and play in the NFL at the same time. What a career. What a life. And a Super Bowl champ. And a Super Bowl champ for Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. And, of course, the stuff he did during COVID, stepping away from the game to work in an assisted living facility in Quebec at the peak of the crisis at one of its most vulnerable points. This is a guy who everyone should look up to coming straight out of McGill University. I will always remember fondly the calls of draft the doctor that year as he came through the NFL draft. And when it finally happened, I could not have been more thrilled. And then he delivered in a way with his NFL career higher than I could have ever imagined. He should be incredibly proud of what he's accomplished. The Toronto Argonauts extended the contract of general manager Mike Pinball Clemens, though the length of the deal was not announced. Is that a good move? Duh. I don't think... What what other answer could, could somebody possibly give? I mean, Pinball Clemens is on my re- Mount Rushmore of CFL people. He's won a great cup as a player, a coach, a general manager, and as an executive he is as good as they come, and obviously he's done a great job building that team. Pinball is outstanding, and by the way, I ran into him in Montreal, and without even thinking about it, I called him Pinner, which is his well-known nickname, and then I caught myself and said, is it okay if I call you Pinner? And he said, yes, of course. So that was a top five moment, probably in my life, I will just say. The Carlton Ravens beat the University of Toronto 46-7 this past week and held the Varsity Blues to a measly 20 yards of offense. 2-0, 20. Have you ever heard of a team finishing a game with that little production? I wish I could say I haven't, but I coach high school football. and Our offense has been occasionally questionable the last few years. So 20 I... yards questionable? I sympathize with the Toronto Varsity Blues. Maybe not that bad, but I think we had 100 yards rushing in the entire season last year. It was not good. We had a passing attack. I'll I'll say that much. The Calgary Stampeders cut receiver Markeith Andals after he dressed for only four games for the team. Why did the team make this move? Well, I mean... Head coach Dave Dickinson didn't really want to get into it, just said it didn't really work out. Um, You know, Ambles has been cut twice now. I don't want to speculate, but I I will also say I don't think that he was maybe as productive as he'd been in the past. And Calgary is another team that I think needs to upgrade that receiving core. So they don't think that Ambles is going to be part of that future. You may as well cut ties now. Former U Sports Coach of the Year winner Ian Breck passed away this past week. How will you remember him? Well, you know, he had a fantastic career at Bishops, a three-time Dunsmore Cup winner, a guy who was always on the 
right on the fringe of the national stage. Never got to a Vangy Cup, but got to a couple of national semifinals. But I'll remember him as a gold medalist back in 2000 at the NFL's Global World Championships when he went in there and beat Team Europe for the gold medal uh, at the Super Bowl field with a team of under 20 Canadians, which he was the head coach of. The nationally ranked Windsor Lancers are 5-0 for the first time since 1975. Is this team for real? Well, I'll say this. If they're not for real, we will find out this week when they play the Western Mustangs, who have, I think, one lost one regular season game over the last five seasons. So, Windsor, I think they're at least somewhat for real. I think they've already shown that. They beat Queens 29-5 which was very impressive, but the ultimate test is still coming up here with Western on the docket. Last one, Hamilton Tiger Cats have signed CFL veterans Darrell Walker and Jamal Davis II, who we just mentioned a moment ago. Will those two help this team potentially make a run in the playoffs? It is never a bad idea to add veteran experience as you head towards the postseason. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have looked good. They could get better in a number of regards. I think pass rusher is one of those. Jamal Davis, to me, is a really big addition because I think he can get some pressure off the edge for this team, at least far more than what Ja'Garrett Davis is getting for them right now. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We will see you next Wednesday for another episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.